<clears throat> so, Hashem Sifosaitiftach is not an interruption, which we would think it would be. How could Chazal put Hashem Sifosaitiftach, how could they put a Pasuk between the Bracha of Goal Yisrael and the Shmonasre? When we've made such a big deal about how important it is that there should be no hafsek at all between Geula and Tfila. And the answer is this is not a hafsek at all. This is, if anything, you might say this is sort of the necessary. I mean, in order to be able to say Shmona, this is how you launch the Shmona Esrei. It is perfectly within the character, and therefore it is considered part of the long bracha of Shmona Esrei. This pasuk, even though it sits before Shmona Esrei, is part of the Shmona Esrei itself. Okay. Now, the Rashid Chachma says, Hazal inserted, well, it's not inserted, but introduced the Shmona Esrei with this pasuk. It's actually a pasuk from Tehillim. Uh, it's in Perak Nun Aleph. And Chazal added this pasuk before the 18 brachos in order that a person will look at his own thoughts. <coughs> in other words, when you say, Hashem, please open my lips, and what will come out of my mouth will be your praise, a person's supposed to use that to think what's about to come out of my mouth. So it is what puts you into both thinking about what's inside your head and what should be inside your head. And from this, he will draw upon himself a feeling of yura, of awe, of fear of heaven. And this will allow him to direct his davening correctly, to have the correct kavana in davening. So how is it that this will draw down a feeling of yura? Okay. It's because you know what this pasuk really means and the context of the Pasuk. Now, honestly, I didn't. I knew this Pasuk from being the beginning of Shmon Esrei. I didn't know this Pasuk from Tehillim. I surely have come across it, I suppose, over the years. But it doesn't jump to my mind. The whole idea of it, you'll see why it'll become clear when we see it in context, why we don't say more than just that one Pasuk. <coughs> but it also will become clearer why we say it at all. Okay, so now I'm using the Hirsch commentary to Tehillim. This parak of Tehillim, Nun Aleph, is introduced, you know, sometimes David will tell you when he wrote a parak of Tehillim. This is Bevoe Lav Nasan Hanavi Kasher Ba El Bas Shava. When Nasan Hanavi came to correct David, to say, You have done wrong. In marrying Bathsheba, or the way that you married Bathsheba, yeah, yeah. this was the Tehillim that he said. This is what his prayer to God at the time. <coughs> Favor me again, Hashem, according to your loving kindness and your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Cleanse me from my sins. My sin is always known before me. Like, I'll never forget what I've done wrong. I've sinned against you and against you alone, mm -hmm. which, by the way, is particular also, of course, to this sin, because really he didn't do anything technically, legally wrong mm -hmm. in marrying Bathsheba, but it was not correct for him. Mm -hmm. He was better than that mm -hmm. in how he handled it. 
But there was no legal problem. There's no sin that a Sanhedrin could convict him on. <coughs> God, you are just in your words. You are pure in your judgments. Here I had the ability to sin. I was raised with it. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a human. Humans can sin. But you've also taught me wisdom. So please help me become pure and cleansed from what I have done wrong. I'm going to skip a little. Some of it, this one we all know. Lev tahor barali elokim veruach nachon chadesh bekirbi. Make me a clean heart. Give me a renewed and steadfast spirit. Al tashlecheni milfanecha veruach kadshecha al tikach mimeni. Don't throw me away from in front of you. Don't remove yourself from me. Don't send me from you. Don't take yourself away from me. Bring me back to salvation and let me be supported again through the spirit of being close with you. And then I'll teach other people also how they can return to you. Hashem sefosai tiftach, my master, and Rav Hirsch translates it as be my master. Right, because I've moved away from that maybe in sinning. So please be my master and open my lips. My mouth will declare your glorious goodness. You don't want to demand that I bring carbonos. You're not looking for carbonola. You're not looking for a zevach. That's not what you want. What do you want? Zivchei Elokim, the real zevach, the real korban for Hashem, ruach nishbara, is a broken spirit. Now, in American, broken spirit does not work. <coughs> broken spirit means there's like no life in you, there's no hope in you. There's no... A broken spirit means I don't think that I'm so amazing. It's the opposite of gaiva. Okay, it says because he already said don't take away your spirit from me it's a it's humility it's it's closer to a broken heartedness it's broken emotionally it's realizing that I am helpless to help myself and yet I am not hopeless I am relying on Hashem that my mistakes come when I think I can be clever and figure it all out and get it right and forget that what it's Hashem that I need. Zivchei Elokim Ruach Nishbira. Here's Rav Hirsch's commentary. The true sacrifice that God our judge expects of us is a spirit broken by the awareness that we have sinned. When I realized I've done wrong, that makes me feel broken. I realize I've broken myself. <coughs> A broken heart, a contrite heart, Hashem will never despise. In other words, thou wilt surely not despise the broken and contrite heart with which I now appear before your throne of judgment. My repentance paves the way for the improvement which it is your desire to bring about by means of your judgments. When I come before Hashem and I say, I was wrong, you were right. There's a lot that I need, but it's not because I'm coming to you with my shopping list. 
what I'm coming to you with is a recognition that I've done wrong. And that anything that's been withheld from me is to help correct me and to help improve me to where I need to be. And if I come to you with that approach and that attitude, that I am sorry, that I feel that I have broken myself, that the only korban I really have to bring to you is my contrition, my sincerity, my desire to be better and to be close to you and to say, please don't remove yourself from me. That you will never despise. You will never turn away from me when I approach you that way. Please do good to Tzion in, according, in accordance with your will. And build the walls of Jerusalem. Because then you will completely, surely desire our carbonos. And then we'll be able to bring cows and, and, and animals onto your korban. Meaning it isn't the korban, it's not the animal you're looking for. It's the spirit you're looking for. And when that's fixed, then yes, we'll be able to bring carbonos again. You'll, you'll redeem Jerusalem, you'll rebuild Jerusalem, and we'll bring carbonos, but we'll be bringing them from, like, from a place where we have been perfected in our spirit. <coughs> perfected perhaps through brokenness. Okay, that's the context of Hashem opened my lips that my mouth will sing your praise. It's mirroring Hashem rebuild Jerusalem and we will bring carbonos. It's kind of the same thing. Now think about what Shmona Esrei is. In Shmona Esrei, excuse me, we describe an ongoing process of Geula. This, I think, is more going to be our topic for next week. But in Shmona Esrei, we describe a perfection of the world in accordance with Hashem's will, right? That we'll have leaders, again, we'll do tshuva. This is Shachris, that's not going to help for this case. <laughs> I mean, Shachris for Shabbos, that helps. Okay. When we get to the requests in Shmona Esrei, it's please give us knowledge, please help us do tshuva, heal the sick, fight our battles, bless us with a good year, blow the shofar of our redemption, return our judges and our leaders, take care of the wicked people, <coughs> be a support for the righteous, return to Jerusalem, bring back the house of David, the dynasty of David, hear our prayers, desire our, our tefillos, and therefore return the avoda to the Dvir Beisecha, desire us, and our prayers, their prayers. That's, this is really the pattern that David HaMelech was already describing. And may we see, may we merit to see your return to Zion, and then gratitude and shalom. This is really the direction that Shmona Esrei is going all together. And so opening it with Hashem Sfosai Tiftach, Secha, fits. Now, Rav Schwab, which I didn't print out, but I have here. Rav Schwab says there's something else that we can see by looking deeper at this context. That it is, please open my mouth that my, open my lips that my mouth should say your praise. Because what you're not looking for is the body of the korban alone. What you're looking for is the heart. And we take that, and we take that Gemara in Brachos, um, page Dalet Amud Beis, which says that it's not an interruption to Shmona Esrei, it's meant to be part of Shmona Esrei. 
and we realize that what have we said all along about Shmona Esrei? Is that Shmona Esrei comes in place of a korban. The whole point of a Shmona Esrei is to be a korban tamid. Not only that, but Rav Schwab has certainly taken the approach, and others as well. We saw it in Rav Hirsch when we learned about the Akedas Yitzchak, that we are constantly living, living Akedas. We are descended from Yitzchak, and therefore our lives are life of Akeda. <coughs> Which means that even when we were able to bring a korban in the Beis HaMikdash, and we brought an animal, it was like the Akeda, where Avram brought an animal in place of his son. The real korban was Yitzchak. The real korban was not this ram. Thank you. Hello. Good morning. Good morning, Mommy. <coughs> it's freezing down here. Oh, she's very warm. Oh, good. Glad somebody's warm. Yeah, no, she's warm. She looks warm. That the real carbon wasn't the aisle, the ram. The real carbon was Yitzchak, which means that when we were really bringing carbonos in the base of Mikdash, the real carbon is not the cow or the sheep or the dove or the goat. Mm-hmm. The real carbon is us. Now, again, that's expressed really clearly in this parak of Tehillim. Hashem, open my lips that my mouth can sing your praise because it isn't the offering of the animal that you are desiring. The desire that you have in a korban is the broken heart, the broken spirit, the contrition. Which means that when we say Shemona Esrei, we are bringing ourselves as the korban to Hashem. Now, we, we've already covered that when we talked about holding our hands together, our feet together. It's the binding ourselves like the Akeda. But when we put all this together, and then we say Hashem's, and of course, being so familiar with Tehillim, we immediately think of where that takes us mentally, that we're saying, let me open my mouth to praise you, because what you really want from me right now is that I become a korban, not physically necessarily, but in my heart, then we find that this, and this, and watch how he breaks, it's very interesting. He says there's three steps to prepare a korban. Not so cheerful to think about, especially if you're not normally involved in things like shrita, but necessary. <clears throat> Based on the Mishnah and Ezehu there's hefshet, Okay, lahafshit means, oh, in, in the context of a korban, it means to skin the animal. You can also say to take off a garment. Okay, so it means to, to let something drop off of you, to take it off. It can be the skin. There's nituach, nowadays that means surgery, but it means cutting it up, dividing it into sections. <coughs> and chalil laishim being burned up completely. That's what happens with the korban. So Rav Schwab says what we need to do is put ourselves through that process as well to prepare ourselves for a Shmona Esrei. So what's the hefshet? What's the ta- removing the skin of the, like removing the skin, skinning the animal? Or lafshit can mean, as I said, to take off a coat or something. It's hafshata sagashmius. It's dropping out of our physical selves skinning off our physical body so that all we're left with when we're standing there in that Shmona Esrei is our spiritual self. 
In other words, withdrawing from our external physical existence. It's trying to completely disregard the physical self so that we're totally... That's why we said, ideally, if you know Shmona Esrei by heart, you close your eyes when you're saying it. Even if you know only a piece of it by heart. If you close your eyes, it helps you screen out the outside world. If we're not moving, we're, right, we're facing maybe a wall so that there's no distractions. <clears throat> it's an effort to really disregard the outer frame so that our inner self can communicate with Hashem. He compares our outer appearance to the hands of a clock, which is interesting. I think this is based on, he doesn't mention it, but you know, the word panim, face, is the same word as bifnim, within, because it shows you what's within. The outer face of a clock shows you the time. Mm -hmm. But the way that that happens, especially in an old-fashioned clock, <clears throat> is there's a complicated system of gears. There's a whole lot going on inside where you can't see it in order to make it that something shows simply on the outside. He says the outside is the part we have to take away so that the deeper, more complex, real workings of what's really going on in our lives can be visible. That's dropping the outside. And that's why he says, and this is definitely, you know, kind of that approach of the Nefesh HaChayim, we have to say, Hashem, open my lips, because we're not really there with the outer body as we go into Shemona Esrei. Second of all is the stage of sectioning. So cutting the korban into its different parts. And that is the Lev Nishbar in that Tehillim, the broken heart. Meaning recognizing that this physical self can be turned into all kinds of different parts. There's this part of me, there's that part of me. Some parts are better, some parts are worse. <clears throat> there's a humility there. A humility to saying, I'm not perfect. It can be a healthy humility. There could be parts of me that are doing well right now. And there can be parts of me that are not doing well right now. And we say, Hashem, a heart that has been broken, you will not despise. For all the fact that I am so small, and I can cut myself into all different pieces and look at all the different parts and say, how are we doing here? I know that when I'm able to do that, you will not turn me away. It's exactly then that you're happy to see me. I think, you know, so when we deal with other people, it's like if we would show them anything about ourselves that's not so good, they might not like us. So we try and wear nice clothes, right? Nicer than when we're by ourselves so that they'll think we are put together or beautiful or, right, put on makeup or we talk a certain way. You know, you use the whatever words are popular in your business at the time, the slang, the jargon, so that people will think you're on top of it. But the truth is, if we would take that approach to Hashem, trying to show him where we're doing great and hiding where we're not doing well, that's not, that's not going to fly. Also, in the Shidduch process, <coughs> you know, you have to balance that In Shidduchim, right. You want them and, to see the whole, who you really are. more or less, yeah. With Hashem, we can be confident that it's exactly when we're able to take ourselves apart and look at the real issues and the problems and how we feel about them, that it's then that he will fully accept us and welcome us. And the third part 
is the korban is burned on the Mizbeach. He says the correspondence to that is the enthusiasm, the real passion, getting fully, fully into the tefillah, not not trying to, you know, we, again, we, we learn to modulate our feelings, especially in front of other people, hopefully, because it's a burden on them, it's not acceptable to them. But davening, and especially Shemona Esrei, is the time to be fully there and to be fully excited. <clears throat> Excuse me. To be fully excited and to be enthusiastic, to be excited that I have the chance to stand before Hashem that there's room for improvement, that he's giving me the ability to improve, that I'm having a chance to learn where I've gone wrong and to find out how to do something about it, that I can be part of Klal Yisrael, that I can approach Hashem using the words of people greater than me, so that when I express my own thoughts, they're in words that Hashem will be tuned into hearing, the words of David Melech, the words that Chazal put for us. And... He says, in light of all this, when we take all this together, and then we say the word Baruch, and we bend our knees, right? Baruch and Berech, knee. When we bend our knee to begin Shemona Esrei, we're giving over everything to Hashem in that movement and in that moment. And when we see that, then we realize Hashem's was really part of the Shemona Esrei. It's the beginning of the Shemona Esrei. The opposite of being an introduction to it, it's what allows us to bend our knee in Baruch completely. When we stop and we think it's the humility of Hashem's sorry, the humility. <laughs> the humility of Hashem's and the looking at myself and realizing I'm bringing myself as a korban, so who's going to move these lips? That's you. And I'm completely in your hands. And, and fully prepared. You know, we want to emulate Yitzchak. Yitzchak was 100% fully there in the Akedah and giving himself to it. And the fact that afterward he took three steps, so to speak, and walked away from the Akedah was a different message, that you're going to be a living Akedah. <coughs> so we have become accustomed to expecting to be living Akedahs. Hopefully that's good. But nonetheless, we want to go fully into the, into the Shemona Esrei in, in its entirety. So I thought that was like a very astonishing and different um, understanding of it. Okay. Um, but I do want to change the order a little bit here. Okay. Set that aside. Three steps. So even before we say Hashem's Fosai Tifta, the reason Hashem's Fosai Tifta got moved forward a little was because we were talking about speech <clears throat> and the inability to speak in the context of Shemona Esrei. But really, before we say the words Hashem first, we take three steps forward into our Shemona Esrei. You'll often see people first take three steps backward. That seems to be, well, some people explain it as part of the process. <clears throat> Mostly it seems to be just so that you have room to take three steps forward. You take three steps back so that you could take three steps forward. The real thing is that before you start Shemona Esrei, you take three steps forward, 
And at the end of Shemona Esrei, you take three steps backward. Okay? Any other steps mainly seem to be just to facilitate those. Okay. So the Mishnah says that the early Hasidim, Hasidim Rishonim, that is not talking about Hasidim who like wear strimals or white socks or whatever, because that is a phenomenon that's in like 250 years old. And if the Mishnah is talking about Hasidim, the Mishnah is 2,000 years old. So it's not, not talking about Hasidim who are students of the Baal Shem Tov necessarily. It means people who are very righteous. The classic definition of a Hasid is somebody who is serving Hashem with chesed, so to speak. In other words, <coughs> who wants to do mitzvot, who wants to serve Hashem out of love, not out of a sense of obligation. Therefore, a chassid may do more than what is required. Lifnim mishuras hadin. Doing something beyond what is demanded of you. Why? Just because you love a God and you want to do more. The chassidim we shown him would prepare a full hour before they davened. Then they would daven for an hour, then they would take a full hour transitioning back to the world. Okay, we don't really do that. But Ravolvi teaches, he says, when we take three steps forward, let's use that as a cue and realize that those three steps are bringing us into the presence of Hashem. We are walking into a different space. And if we stop and think before we take those steps, or as we take those steps, that we are walking into a different space, we will be face to face with Hashem. We will be talking directly. Whatever our needs are, we are addressing them to Hashem, who is the only one who can help us. Whatever our regrets are, we are speaking directly to Hashem, who is the one who will forgive us, who will help us to do better. Whatever our inner desires, our inner yearnings, our inner will is, we are stepping forward to come face to face, literally, like nose to nose, so to speak, with our creator. This is what Revolbi calls the concrete action of tefillah. That taking three physical steps and moving yourself right up to God in that and thinking of that, the concrete action of tefillah, really an, an astonishing, I don't know, tip just seems like such a small word for such a big idea. It's something you can really take with us. The Shalah says, Hashem counts our steps and gives us reward. When we daven Shmon Esra and we take three steps forward, it's a kind of counting our steps recognizing that each and every step we take, and especially a step towards Hashem, counts. Those little steps, we would say, like, what do those three little steps I took mean? But when we do that, and that can draw out into the rest of our day. I take a few steps this way, a few steps that way. What direction am I going? Am I going towards Hashem? Where am I going with those steps? The Beis Yosef, which is the author of the Shulchan Aruch, right? Rav Yosef Karo says, uh, he's actually quoting someone else, the Sri Leheleket, quoting the Geonim. Why do we take three steps before Shemona Esrei? Because when a person stands to daven Shemona Esrei, he is standing in a place of Kedusha, and the Shechina is over his head. 
Remember we said that a person should direct his heart to the Holy of Holies. We turn and face Yerushalayim to Davin, right? In the Western countries, we face east, usually, mostly. <coughs> and we direct our heart to the Holy of Holies. We actually send <coughs> ourselves there and send our tefillahs there. And as much as possible, we are actually standing over there. And taking those three steps forward helps to move us there. And when a person leaves that holy land, that holy ground he's standing on in his Shemona Esrei, this actually reminds me a little of a Klayakar we saw. My goodness, where was it? In Bamidbar somewhere last year? Where the Klayakar talks about the idea that all the shuls will end up in Eretz Yisrael, mm -hmm. and that the ground of a shul, the floor of a shul, is like it is in Israel. I wonder if this is a connected idea, that when you're davening and your mind and your heart are at the Holy of Holies, then the land you're standing on now becomes part of that holy ground. <clears throat> and when you leave your tefillah, you take three steps backward. Because you are leaving that place of Kedusha and going to stand again on weekday ground, on regular ground. He says... And one example of this is that as soon as you take those three steps backward, you say, Oseh Shalom Bimimav, and you sort of lean from left to right. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, there's like a world around you again. You're back. Mm -hmm. Whereas during Shemona Esrei, you would never look to one side or the other because you're so not there in the space that you appear to be in. You've walked into another space. And when you walk back, now you're there again. It's also... <clears throat> It's also, uh, the Shulchan Archer also brings, the Beis Yosef also brings, in the name of Mahari Abu Hav, which I assume is like the Abu Hav Shul in Tzvas, um, in the name of the Orchos Chaim, we take three steps before and after tefillah. We're modeling Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, why Moshe? That's not so strange, because we already saw that the entire structure of Shmona Esrei is kind of built around the pattern that Moshe Rabbeinu defined of Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora. Were you here that week, Kelsey? Were you here when we did Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora? Okay. Yes. So that's the. I think you were here. Yes. <coughs> when Moshe Rabbeinu went to before God to receive the Torah, he went into Choshech, Anan, and Arafel. Darkness, cloudiness, and fog. So sort of three layers, three steps. And we also take three steps. into, In other words, into an inner space with Hashem. In stages. And I mean, he brings some deeper explanations about that, but I think that starts to take us outside of, even I have limits to how far we branch out. Okay. The Shmona Esrei, kind of wrapping this all together, <clears throat> Rav Schwab says the Shemona Esrei corresponds to the Holy of Holies. Right, we said that we're going through different parts of the Beis Hamikdash. We started with the, the Har Habayis in Brachos, and we're, then we're in the Azara in Psuke de Zimra, and then we were in the Kodesh or the Heichal in Shema. Now we're coming into, so first of all, three steps seem significant, right? Walk through three different worlds. Mm -hmm to get to Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Holy of Holies. That's where we are standing in our Shemona Esrei. 
So we take these steps to show that we're leaving that weekday world and entering the world of Kodesh Kadashim. And that's the frame of mind that just like a korban is bound, we bind ourselves. We say, I am giving myself to you as a korban. You take control of the body and I bring myself to you with a whole heart and a whole soul. Okay. Now I know where he got that from. Okay. Let's see. Oh, it's early, so we really could start a little bit more. <coughs> That's exciting. I didn't think we were going to get so far. Okay. So, let me bring some notes on Kavana. I'm not going to redo um, what we talked about a couple years ago. We talked about Kavana. And tips for Kavana. I think we had 10 tips for improving Kavana, which I think I may have given out again since then. They're online. <laughs> There's two versions of that share online, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna repeat that. But there are a couple of things that are specific to Kavana of Shmona Esrei that I thought I wanted to talk about. Um, and then I let's see where we get up to today. Rav Hirsch in Parshas Pinchas, and I think we saw this once on Sukkot because I remember talking about it. I thought this was an awesome, awesome concept. And was something I didn't know about, which is, well, there are Mishmaros that we did know about, and I remember talking about this once. I think it was Sukkot, which is that there are 24 shifts of Kohanim. The, the, the families of the Kohanim are divided into 24 shifts, each Mishmar does two weeks of, actually it says they changed every week, but they, I think they have twice a year their family would get a turn <coughs> to do the Avodah in the Beis HaMikdash. And each Mishmar has associated with it part of the non-Kohanim of the Jewish people, who they represent... In, and it's interesting, it seemed like, I think elsewhere he talks about the connection being deeper than that, because the Kohanim are the teachers of the Jewish people. So they were spread out. They didn't live in any one city. They live in all the different cities of the Levium. And they would be sent almost like shlichus, you know, they would get sent out to all the villages and all the towns to be the teachers of Torah. That was the job of the Kohanim. So then when you had your Kohanim doing the Avoda, when it was their turn, that was also your representative as a non-Kohen who was being represented in the Beis HaMikdash. And so the, the people also had representatives who would either go to Yerushalayim to witness their Korban, or who already lived in Yerushalayim and who would then represent their community as, as their korban turn sort of came. And the people who weren't in Yerushalayim to witness the korban of their family, I mean, really all the korbanos are for all the Jewish people, but everyone felt a special connection different times of the year, that everyone else would gather together in their city or in their village and they would fast and they would learn the Torah and they would attend in spirit. So they would be thinking about what's going on now. What are they doing now? Which part are they up to? 
learning about what all that means. What is the carbon about? What, what's the real avoda inside of our hearts that's happening? When you feel like you have a space, sort of like when your kid has their bar mitzvah, suddenly you're much more interested in the Torah portion that they're learning, right? Well, you're much more interested, right? It's not you who's up there reading it, but suddenly you care about the trope and the vowels and, right? You, you feel like you have a special connection to that part of the Torah reading. So here too, there was a special feeling of connection to certain karbanos at certain times of year because they were your karban. This standing by, in other words, a sort of attending your karban personally or in spirit, it's called a ma'amad. Like a, a standing up for the occasion. <clears throat> and through the ma'amados, the offering for everyone was kept fresh and alive. There's a feeling that we are participating. We're part of it. It's not just something happening in the background every day. And I live in Mayrone, and so I am not paying attention to what's going on. It's almost like a special yontif for that city. It's almost like a special yontif, a day of contemplation. A day. And it made you more aware of what was going on with the avoda and attending to it. Now, what that means is that when it comes to the karban tamid, there's a sense that it requires, even if you're not there in person, being there in spirit. And that is something that permeates the Shmona Esrei that takes the place of the karban tamid, is that sense that even if I can't get my feet onto the ground at the holy temple, I send my spirit there. I'm there in my mind and in my feelings and in my yearnings. Mentally, I'm there. And this doesn't begin with Shemona Esrei. I'm continuing something that my ancestors have done for thousands of years. From the first Karbanos, it was already happening that people were sending themselves in their hearts to be at the Beis HaMikdash, to be part of the Korban. And this... This, this is the, I think if we visualize this, when we take our three steps and we say, Hashem, open my lips. And I say, okay, now I'm coming into a new space, a special holy space of Shemona Esrei. If I can attach it to this image of people getting together, people learning specially, people thinking, what's going on in my korban right now? I think it helps attach me to my own kavana that I'm sending out on these wings of prayer to be there. Okay. Rabbi Leth, who has an amazing book about Shemana Esrei, really wonderful. Rabbi Leth says, before you daven, you need to think that you have the intention that you're going to do the mitzvah of davening. Now that's generally true. Excuse me. That's generally true with mitzvahs. You're supposed to have in mind that you're doing a mitzvah when you do the mitzvah. Some people have a custom to say, I'm about to do a mitzvah, right? But even if you don't, if someone say, what are you doing? If you would answer, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm doing a mitzvah. Like, that, why are you doing it? That's why I'm doing it, because it's a mitzvah. Then it means that really you had the intention all along. But a lot of mitzvahs, let's say you, you weren't really thinking so much. 
Like, let's say, oh, it's Sukkis, I'm going to shake a lulav and esrog. So you pick it up, and if someone would say to you, what are you doing? You'd say, oh, I'm shaking a lulav and esrog, because the Torah says to do, okay. But what if while you were shaking it, you were kind of thinking about the sun in your eye, or you're thinking about this bee in the sukkah and whether it's going to sting you, or you're thinking how nice the spines of the lulav look as they overlap or the smell of the esrog, and maybe you kind of were distracted and you weren't thinking so much about the mitzvah you were doing. Yes, if someone asked you, you would say, oh, yeah, that is why I'm doing it. But maybe you weren't really paying attention to the mitzvah. It happens, right? We all do mitzvahs and don't pay so much attention, especially davening mitzvahs, but other mitzvahs too. We don't always pay attention so fully. You still did the mitzvah. Excuse me, Sarah? Yeah. Did you move your car? Robert's been trying to contact you. I didn't. Uh, I didn't move my car, but I parked it in the driveway last night. His car must be out there. Maybe. Oh. Probably too late. It's probably too late. Let me go check. Okay. I do want to finish this idea. Let me run and check on that. Ah, thank you. Whew. Okay. Now, the thing is about davening, different from other different from other mitzvot, is you have to actually have kavana. <laughs> because the whole point of davening is the avodah shebalev, the service of God in the heart. And so if your heart is not there, you didn't really do the mitzvah, mm-hmm. even if your mouth was moving. Which is, again, back to that Hashem it's not the body of the korban you're looking for, it's the heart. <coughs> So you have to daven every day. That's a mitzvah. And you have to have kavana to daven when you're davening. Some say you have to also have kavana that you're doing the mitzvah of davening, but certainly you have to have kavana of what you're saying that you're talking to Hashem and what you're talking about. Now, there are different, um, different opinions as to exactly what that kavana needs to be. Everyone agrees you have to have kavana when you daven, especially Shemona Esrei, and especially the first paragraph of Shemona Esrei, the first bracha. We recognize that although we need to have kavana the whole time, it doesn't always happen, but at least the first paragraph, the first um, bracha. The question is what it is. So the Rambam says you have to have kavana to do the mitzvah of the Torah of davening. The Ranban says you have to have in mind your davening and what you're saying, but that the mitzvah part of it is when you're davening for need, that there's adversity or danger, and you're davening for your needs, which is a little bit different than what the Rambam said. The Rajba says that in addition, you also have to be aware that there is a God who gave us the Torah, and gave us the mitzvah of davening. Asher kiddushanu b'mitzvosav v'tzivanu, essentially. You have to have in mind. The Me'iri says, you also have to focus on the fact that everything emanates from God, and he alone is the arbiter of reward and punishment. So these are different opinions. And again, it's not that that's the only thing you're thinking about, but that there has to be some kind of awareness. It makes sense. The truth is, if, you've, if you manage to say Shemona Esrei after Shema, I know as women we don't always pull off everything, a lot of this you've already brought into your mind by going through Shema, and that makes it much easier as you get into Shemona Esrei that you're in the right place. 
<coughs> During tefillah, you have to be cognizant that you are standing before Hashem and speaking with Him. Again, by taking our three steps forward. By thinking about what we're doing, really, mm-hmm. I guess. You can have kavana if you think about what you're doing, which is self-explanatory. I mean, <laughs> that's what it is. And that is the essence of tefillah. If you're not aware that you are standing before God and speaking with him, you're not really davening. You're, I don't know what you're doing, right? You're probably not even doing that. <laughs> Chances are. Chances are your lips are moving or not moving or you lost track of where you were, but during that time you weren't actually davening. Um, Rav Chaim Shmulevitz said, there were two things that were purely in this world that he would miss in the next world. The joy in a mother's eyes buying her child their first pair of shoes and the opportunity to turn your face to the wall whenever you want to and to speak with Hashem directly. That just being able to stop what you're doing and say, I want to talk to God. That's like an amazing thought. Again, regarding... Yeah. Regarding Kavana, Chazal talk about in Brachos Dav Ches Aleph, I actually skipped over it when I saw it before. We talked about it once a long time ago, that we're going through two doorways to Davin. This is, why, by the way, why there's a custom to build shuls with two doorways. You come through the door, and you should be in like a hallway. And then there's another door that leads into the sanctuary. That is the way that shuls are normally built. Not just the shul on the beach. That is a traditional way of building a shul. Because of this chazal, that you enter through two doorways to Davin, the first is to leave the outside world. The second is to come into the world. And I think also those three steps that we take <coughs> help us walk out of one world and into another world. <coughs> one of the questions, let me close the door. One of the questions that we will be asked in the next world, hello. will be asked in the next world is if we have thought about davening. Did we make an effort to understand our davening? So what does that mean? (laughs) I think if we're in a shear, then we are making an effort to understand our davening. Whether we manage to understand it is another thing, but that's not the question. (laughs) The question is, did we try to understand our davening? So in order to have the kavana correctly and be able to face ourselves and God in the next world, there does seem to be an obligation, right? In the Siddur, we talk about it as iun tefillah, something that pays dividends in this world but doesn't get depleted in the next world. There is an obligation to try and learn how to pronounce the words of our davening and to understand basically the meaning of the prayers. The Gemara Yerushalmi, the Talmud Yerushalmi in Brecho says that davening with proper intention will always be answered. Doesn't mean it always gets answered the way that we wanted it to be, which is lucky for us. But we, will, we can know that we'll always be heard. Again, David Amalek indicates that. 
-hmm. He says, you will not turn me away if I come before you properly. I know that. The Yaros Devash says that when a person davens properly, it helps us to do other mitzvos properly. It seems to have a spillover effect in general on our mitzvos. The Tosfos explains a Gemara in Bava Basra. The Gemara says everyone is guilty of davening without kavana. Everyone. Everyone is guilty. I mean, this is even the Gemara says everyone is guilty. One of the things that everyone does, and the Tosfos says it's every day, everyone is guilty of some davening without kavana. Mm -hmm. It's just. You know, which on the one hand tells us there's a lot of work to do, and on the other hand, allows us to relax enough to do the job. It isn't just us. It isn't that, oh, great people don't have to grapple with this, so why should I bother? I'm not great. It isn't that. This is something we all have to tackle, and nobody should think they're too far beyond it. When we think, oh, I have such wonderful kavana, it's not an issue for me. This is a great story. The Gera Rebbe went once to a chassid who had just finished Shmona Esrei, and he walks up to him, imagine this, like during Shacharis, right? Right after Shmona Esrei, the Gera Rebbe walks over to one of his chassidim and says, Shalom Aleichem! And the man's like, hi. Like, <laughs> like that's, it's really nice, it's an honor to be greeted by the Rebbe, but he didn't understand why he's walking over to him in the middle of davening and saying this. And the Rebbe said, well, I could see from your face that you were all over the world during that short essay. <laughs> so I'm just welcoming you back <laughs> from your big trip. How humiliating. <laughs> and probably how true. So what if you daven Shrona Esrei and you realize you don't have Kavana? Mm -hmm. You don't repeat it. Because we assume that the second time around you also won't have Kavana. So we got to do our best. In particular, for the for, again, if we can get the first bracha right, and that's kind of a topic for next week, how the first bracha encapsulates the whole. If we can get the first bracha right, then we can feel that we had kavana in our Shmona Esrei. That's kind of our litmus test. Did I have kavana in Shmona Esrei? Yes or no? What, well, the odds that you had kavana for the whole Shmona Esrei, unfortunately, are low because it's just really hard. Our minds wander. It can happen, especially on like Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, you really can have an awesome Shemona essay right through. But most of the time, somewhere along the way, we catch ourselves. So how do I know? Did I have Shemona, did I have Kavana today or not? The answer is, did I have Kavana in the first bracha? If I can answer yes, then I can say yes, I davened with Kavana today. Um, the, other, the other place that sometimes is included with that is in Modim, interestingly. Okay. Yeah, Modim is a time to like, catch yourself. Like, I yeah, guess, nice yeah. Slip away and reset. <laughs> it's a good reset. I never thought of it that way. You know, in Shema, you have certain similarities in the first mm -hmm. paragraph and the second one. And the halacha deals with it. What if you don't know? Remember, we talked about this in Shema. What if you're not sure? Wait a minute, am I in the first paragraph or the second paragraph? So Rabbi Leff says that he has a congregant who pointed out that nowadays we take three steps back. Are we starting Shmonasri or ending <laughs> That Then you didn't have Kavana, I guess, if you're not sure where you're holding. Okay. Um, the Mabit says that when you can daven with a minion, 
then we are, the, the Shemona Esrei is judged in aggregate. You have the benefit of the kavana of everyone else in the room, which is an amazing idea. It's additive. That the whole Shemona Esrei will be moved together, and even if you didn't have too much kavana in the fourth bracha, maybe someone else did. Mm-hmm. Maybe they weren't so hot on the twelfth bracha, but you were there mentally, right? So as part of a group, your Shemona Esrei becomes much more complete, which is an awesome way of thinking about a minion to create, sort of create a perfect tefillah by being part of a minion. The Chafetz Chaim says, what if you know that you just like never seem to have kavana? Maybe you try, maybe you don't try, you, whatever. Maybe you shouldn't bother davening. And the Chafetz Chaim says, no, daven. So you end every day saying, oh my gosh, I missed it again. Like the second I take three steps forward, my Yitzhar is there. I'm thinking about everything else, or I just don't understand. Chavetz Chaim says, no. You should keep davening. And he gives the mashal. He says, if you have one of these watches that needs to be wound up, he says, let's say you wind your watch, but you never set it. So is the time right? No, you can't use it for timekeeping. But you keep winding it. Eventually, when you're ready to use it, to tell time. Or maybe you wind it. Once a day, and it needs to be wound three times a day to keep up. But the watch still works. He says, if a person shows up to davening, their davening is, they're still there. They're still showing up for davening. I don't only mean showing up in shul. It can be showing up in shul. Showing up in your own home for your davening. When you're there for davening, then when the moment is ripe and you're able to have kavana, you're there davening. If you don't, it's like a watch that nobody even winds because they're not using it. And then when you come and wind it five years later, the springs break and it rusts and it doesn't function properly. It's not that if you come daven five years later, it won't work. It's that even if you would have had the moment of inspiration, you're not standing there davening. You're skiing or you're at the computer. So it's going to come and go. (coughs) The Svasemis says, in, on Masecha Sota, but he's talking about in Navi, where Goliath, the giant man, came, Goliath, and he taunted the Jews for 40 days. Okay. He was trying to interrupt their davening. It says he came out morning and afternoon. So kind of when they were davening, he would come out and try and distract their davening. It sounds like, based on this Svas Emes, that your Shmona Esrei's have essentially a 40-day lifespan. And they will hang there. And maybe you didn't give them enough of a push to get it all the way to where it needs to go. So within 40 days, let's say someone davened Shemona Esrei and it's all words. So how's it going to get through the gateway to heaven, so to speak? It doesn't have much power. But they bank up and they kind of accumulate in your pipeline there. 
And when you do daven a Shemona Esrei with Kavana, it will take with it the other Shemona Esreis that have backed up. This is actually the Svaz Emes. Okay, so maybe I said it in a very simplistic kind of way, but the message is helpful and encouraging, which is that even the Shemona Esreis, we say, you know, you could get the idea from what I said from the Chavetz Chaim, that just showing up and davening isn't worth much if there's no kavana. And what the Svasemis is kind of saying is that there's a value to that too. That we don't just say that the whole mitzvah has gone nowhere because you didn't have kavana. That even though, yes, the mitzvah of tefillah requires kavana, it does, by its very nature. At the same time, the fact that you got up to do the mitzvah, you said, now I'm going to daven. And you davened. And no, you didn't have kavana. So what kind of davening was it? I don't know, right? It's what might be called a, a handicapped malach, right? It can't move itself, maybe. But nonetheless, it can be carried along on the wings of another prayer that does have kavana. It isn't wasted, it's waiting. Mm -hmm. And that is va'adseva ani espo, that Hashem says, until its old age, I will, I will bear it. I'll be patient, like savlanut. Lispo means to be able to carry a burden. God says, I can carry. I can carry the burden of your prayers. Even the prayers that aren't right, they can be carried along too. Okay, so we'll stop here. And next week in Ritz Hashem, we'll talk about um, some of the ideas with the first paragraph, in the first paragraph of Shemona Esrei, the first bracha of Shemona Esrei.